Hello, listener, and depending on the time of day, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I want to start off this episode of Tripod by telling you about Jeremy Cooper. Now, Jeremy Cooper has over 20 years of experience in IT and life sciences. He has a wealth of experience covering operations, architecture, projects, and leadership. During various roles, he has had exposure to supporting companies through hypergrowth, mergers, and acquisitions, building out high-performing teams, and transforming how services are delivered. However, that experience came at a cost. Due to his drive and work pressure, mostly self-inflicted, Jeremy Cooper ended up burnt out and struggling to leave the house due to anxiety. Jeremy was a shell of a person that was just transacting throughout all aspects of his life. During his recovery, Jeremy discovered how much our habits shape our work and our lives and how strategic changes can transform us. Implementing these habits and showing them to others transformed his life and career and led him to form Balanced Life which is a company that has a mission to help individuals and organizations find high performance and balance. In this episode of Tripod, I will be speaking with Jeremy Cooper on the topic of employee mental health, fixing the great resignation, employee retention, and more. Stay tuned. It all begins you are listening to Tripod, a podcast series of interviews of interest to the HR community. It is hosted by Jim Stroud, sponsored by Proactive Talent, and enjoyed by you. Today's episode begins right after this. Let's face it, we're in a whole new world now. We know that the reactive old way of, of hiring uh, and the post and pray model is expensive and it's getting more expensive every year. What employer brand does is it is a long-term strategy that will help you get better at hiring faster and at a higher quality. 75% of candidates will research a company before even applying and 86% of candidates will not work for a company that has a bad or non-existent employer brand. Some of the many benefits of having an effective and strong employer brand include doubling the amount of applicants you get per job post, decreasing your cost per hire by 40%, improving employee retention by 60%, and overall just yield better Glassdoor reviews. We know that Companies with stronger employer brands spend about 10% less overall for talent. Proactive Talent helps out clients with their employer brand uh, by going in and working with them in several phases to learn more about the, the culture, the people, what are the important values to each and every employee, and then to share that story and refresh the employer brand or build it from the ground up. The benefits of having an effective employer brand is that you're going to be able to attract the talent that you really want to join your company and not just people who would be simply applying for whatever requisitions you have out there. They generally love your message, love your culture, and are there to be with you for the long haul. For more information on Proactive Talent, visit them online at proactivetalent.com or click the link in the podcast description. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tribe Pod. Today we have a very special guest. Special guest, tell us who are you and what do you do? I'm Jeremy Cooper. I'm the founder of Balance Life. So it's a, an organization that helps individuals and teams and organizations achieve 
basically life balance so productivity and create an anti-burnout culture and that came from my 20 plus years working in IT with some fortune 500 big biotech companies and and just seeing that overwhelming pressure that people work under and needing to have that break because you know, we've discovered that the you know, productivity and balance increases the the well-being of the individual but also increases the success of the organization as well so it's win-win nice nice um when you say mental health in the workplace uh it seems to carry a stigma with it uh what would you say are some stigmas that you've noticed around mental health in the workplace i it's it's the fact no one wants to talk about it because it's Mm. it's the uh, admitting you have a fault or there's there's something wrong with you i mean it, it took me a very long time to realize i'm not broken um i just i just needed to get some help because i never felt i could tell my boss that i was struggling with with burnout and anxiety my my anxiety at one stage was i if i had a two-minute taxi ride i'd be panicking and i would be worried about like preparing to go out i you know my bathroom anxiety that i'll just get it out in the open at the start was as about feeling like i needed to go to the toilet and i kind of felt if i told my boss that he wouldn't understand it at all but what would then happen is i wouldn't get the good projects i probably wouldn't get promoted yeah if there was any layoffs restructures like i'm i'm the target and it's and it's probably not true but as soon as you've got something you're struggling with any sort of workplace situation is going to pour gasoline on it so it you never feel like you can talk about it because you're never sure what the repercussion is going to be and and also there's some bad managers out there so some people do have bad managers where there will be a backlash so it stops people wanting to talk about it in society sort of doesn't want to hear people's problems they want to see everyone's instagram best life not not what's really going on yeah that's true it's it's interesting how some illness some some um uh health issues get stigmatized whereas others don't so if you were diabetic for example that probably wouldn't even register in anyone's radar it wouldn't be anyone's concern you know um it's funny how that works why do you think it works that way um well firstly if i if i then turned around and said to my boss that i i have diabetes they'd be like okay right so what do you need yeah do you need like so they'd they'd put that service around you I think part of the problem is it's how do you diagnose it? And I, I actually run a run a podcast as well. And one of the things we talked about was, it, um, is it burnout or are you just lazy? And I think mm. a lot of people will sort of say I'm I'm struggling, and people are like almost prove it. It's like well, I can't prove it. I've got no motivation. I've got yeah, I'm I'm not getting stuff done on time. My to do list is piling up, and I'm procrastinating about what to do. Right, that could be burnout or it could just be a lazy person. And there's so much grey in between the two. It's like, how do you know which one it is? How do you how do you trust the person? And that's why trust and resilience is so important in organizations, because you have to believe in your staff. But I think that's why it's it's like that unseen thing that um maybe some people use it for the wrong reason. But uh yeah, there's there's too much of it that's sort of swept under the carpet and people don't want to hear. Do you think managers become more sensitive to burnout when we have such an overwhelming tide of, of, of um, epic events? Let me, let me, let me say we have what the, the pandemic, uh, 
We had uh, things going on in Ukraine, potentially on World War Three on the horizon. Uh, here in the States, we got the potential recession that people say we're some people say we're already in a recession. That's a lot of things happening at one time. And everyone who's living and, and is aware of what's going on, they have, they have to, I would imagine, be more sensitive to it. Do you think managers become more sensitive when there's so many world events happening at the same time? Or do you think they're like, whatever, deal with that on your time? Bit of, bit of both probably depends on the manager. I, mean, I, I think especially mid-level mid managers have it incredibly tough because they're kind of far enough through their career that they're that they're not seen as this new person needs lots of support, lots of you know HR training courses, things like that. And also when you get to kind of the the top, you've got a really good peer group. You've got probably an exec coach and and lots of support frameworks around you. That kind of messy middle almost where you've got junior people lower down that are they need you. And like you're saying, with these uncertain times, they are looking to you or yeah, they're looking to the HR business partner or whoever it is for like this support. It's like the world is getting turned upside down. What do I do on a daily basis? They're also then trying to feed that back up to their leadership team about the challenges they've got below. And obviously they've got some concerns and, and pieces as well. And I think that's where a lot of that overwhelm comes in. I mean, I was a, I was a senior director of IT as we went into lockdown and I, I sent out a message to my team and it was basically saying, you know, we're at the start of an absolute world unknown. This has never happened before. And we can kind of go into this with a with an open mindset or we can go in with a this is all going to be a problem. Because what we kept seeing was so many people were saying, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm a failure. I'm a, like, I don't know. No one knows how to deal with this. That was the thing. I think like there was mm -hmm. that pressure on people and no one turned around and really said to them, you're not expected to know how to send 90% of your staff off site in 48 hours. Or you're not supposed to be able to, like if it is a World War Three, like, no one alive was in business during the last world war. No one knows how, how that's going to happen. So I think it's like cut people some slack is like the biggest message that I passed out to people. It's like my service desk was answering the phone to people and they were like, oh, I feel so bad because my child was crawling across my lap and I was having to like feed it. And this person needed support. It's like, you didn't shut the daycare. Like, I, th I think it's, it's helping people be that little bit more, resilient and feel like they're supported and that they're not going to get in trouble for stuff outside of their control um i think that will help calm people down as you say that i'm wondering let's say i'm a mid-level manager and uh i i see what i suspect is several of my workers uh feeling burnout what are some classic symptoms that i could recognize potentially uh, for burnout as opposed to being lazy assuming i could even de determine between the two yeah absolutely um i i always think the the biggest thing is burnout's a bit like a sine wave so it's like it's got its peaks and troughs and when i was when i was struggling i i always thought i was like like a highly functioning burnout person because mm. some weeks i would be 
delivering projects really engaging and then a week later suddenly everything was negative didn't like my job um i'd i'd be sat in a meeting and i'd be giving nothing positive or i'd start to ghost people and then two weeks later i'd be up again and and it's that roller coaster that i, I think people need to look out for because um being a bit contrary like a lazy person's lazy they haven't got that drive they probably don't like their job they'll procrastinate over lots of things someone that's struggling from burnout will do that peaks and trough because they're desperate to do a good job and they'll find that energy and they'll they'll sort of drive forward so it's as a as a manager the thing i always looked for was where was that change in personality where was that change in mood change in energy level um to to just understand what's their baseline and and how things change i think that's that was the number one thing for when i started to try and spot it but i'd had it so it, it kind of helped in some ways hmm. so would it be accurate to say then that someone who is suffering from burnout uh, is is temporary is that it ebbs and flows to your example but someone who is lazy is pretty much consistent <laughs> where they're just um, just don't do work see, consistently uh, yeah, and yeah, I'll, I'll address the lazy one. Yes, absolutely. Okay. They're 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 just generally not they're not that productive person. They're not driven. It's like they they don't have that kind of focus. The the burnout thing though, it's it's not just something that will sort of switch back and forward. It's because I I really don't want to. I'm I'm sort of always scared about not giving burnout its justice. It's about how bad it is and how dark a place you get. I mean, because I was absolutely numb i would sort of you know tread water through life uh, nothing nothing meant anything interesting to me like my uh, my kind of kid's birth and stuff like that it was sort of like i wasn't i couldn't couldn't enjoy the moment um because i was kind of shut down and but when someone's burnt out there will be the peaks and troughs but there will be lots of troughs so it's not to say that someone can just re recover from burnout or burnouts like this, like one week on, one week off thing. It is, it is brutal. It takes a long time to recover from. It needs a lot of support. And that's why I always think, yeah, that, um, yeah, the sense spent on prevention is worth dollars of cure sort of thing. Because it's, yeah, the earlier you can catch it, the earlier you can help people, the better. But, um, yeah. Uh, I imagine that, mental health uh well burnout in particular has a um s significant impact on a company's employee retention rates could you could you speak on that a little bit i think it was deloitte did a did a study and they found that a uh, an employee with good levels of well-being so yeah that's their their mental physical well-being would stay with the organization on average two years longer than someone with a low level and mm. That that really resonated with the yeah the clients we've got and yeah when we've talked to organisations because what often happens is people will try and run away from a situation so if they're struggling with burnout or they're struggling with anxiety or or depression because we spend what eight nine hours a day at work if I've if I've woken up feeling feeling depressed the kids are driving me crazy I'm frustrated I walk into work I walk into work with a bad mood. I have a bad day day at work and then I've associated bad day with work. So the stress was because of work, not that I brought it into work or I took it home from work and, and bits like that. 
so you'll you'll generally try and run away from a situation. You'll you'll think that oh, when I go work for such and such a company, it'll be better. And then you'll go there and you'll find out actually, no, it's it's something deeper rooted than that. So yeah, that improving people's well being has has that direct correlation. I mean, um, similarly with productivity, yeah, the the improved productivity is is directly tied. I think it was thirty one percent improvement in productivity when you when you improve people's well-being and and if you think about uh, an employee like if you've got high staff turnover obviously you've got that cost of staff turnover you've got all the training costs and bits like that but but also that that member of staff during the first year probably isn't that productive because they're being trained up they're learning the organization they're sort of finding their feet learning all the SOPs and stuff you really start getting their benefit from like year two year three year four so you're that extending that two years is like extending the time of really good productivity of that person as well so it's 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 not just the how long they stay for it's the staying past a certain period that you really start to see the value okay okay i think someone listening to this may think to themselves well you know we have several uh well-being programs you know uh maybe we do a yoga class or maybe we do uh, I don't know team building exercises or something uh, how effective do you think those are overall in your experience um uh-oh, uh-oh. I, uh, <laughs> a little guilty I, there. I, yeah, yeah so um I, I always think that the people that don't need a well-being program will will get a load of value from a well-being program so if you're if you're not really struggling, you'll you'll do the Pilates sessions, you'll do the uh, yeah you'll do the uh, mindfulness and bits like that because you've got the headspace right. Mm. But if you're struggling, I because I I used to struggle with this. So yeah, I worked for a, a fantastic pharmaceutical, and they had all these different opportunities and different programs, and and one of them was like Pilates on a Tuesday, and I used to sit there and think, so how do I how do I tell my boss that I'm struggling? I've got too much work. I'm like struggling with my productivity. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to go to my office. I'm going to get my yoga mat. I'm going to walk past him and go, oh, I'm just off to meeting room four to do an hour of Pilates. Like, how does that work? Like, I, I can't do it for myself. And and that's the, that's the challenge that I know that Pilates is valuable from, you know, flexibility from clearing your mind, from improving your mobility. So it, from that respect, brilliant thing to do for a well-being program. But it it needs a bit more of a um, like a pattern interrupt. It needs to be a bit more in your face with people, to be honest. Because if I get the monthly well-being newsletter that says, "Oh, read this article on healthy eating and uh, go do Pilates on a Tuesday or spend five minutes doing mindset." If I'm really burnt out or if I'm struggling, I probably won't even notice that it came through because it will be in the 2000 unread emails or I'll scan read it and think that that sounds a bit woo woo. I'm not going to do that or I'll mark it as like to read later and then probably never do it. You need to kind of get in front of people. You need to help them at a, like a micro level just to feel that little bit better each day. And I, I feel that that's. Yeah, we're, we're the sum of our habits, like the, the habits that build our life are, are those little things. If you can make someone spend two minutes in the morning having a bit of mindfulness can make a massive impact to their day. Or if you can give them a little couple of tips that they can try this to improve the quality of your sleep, 
in uh, another company I was talking to, they said that they had a, a nutritionist come in and do a talk two weeks before Christmas. And they were like, don't come and talk to me two weeks before Christmas about nutrition and make me feel like I shouldn't eat turkey and I shouldn't <laughs> like I shouldn't eat all the potato. Like, come to me in January and maybe we'll have a conversation. So it's like, meet the people where they're at. How can you give those little micro changes? How can you sort of make them feel that little bit better each day? Because, you know, the day you start to feel better, you go, oh, this works. I'll try something else. Oh, this works. I'll try something else. And and that was that was how, honestly how I transformed my life. Yeah, you know, I, I lost a ton of weight uh, after some horrific engagement photos, like 65 pounds for for a wedding uh, for our wedding. But it was all through these little habits and and learning. I needed to move a little bit more. I needed to eat a little bit less of this. And it and it wasn't like this extreme weight loss thing, because that's where you see like the biggest loser um, shows where everyone sure. loses amazing weight and then just piles it all back on. Same with the mental health. I had to like little steps each day to push my comfort zone or learn to be a bit more grateful or you know, all these little things. And then they built up and I do stuff on a daily basis now that helps my mindset. And I forget that I even do it because it's just, it's ingrained. And I think that's how, that's how the wellbeing problem programs need to change. They need to understand what the people need and then give them what they need in small enough doses that it's, it's not overwhelming. It's easy to do. If something doesn't resonate, they can try something else rather than feel like there's this big pile in. Um, but your other bit, I love team building events. I think they're, they're, they're awkward to get starting and you'll see everyone in the corners of their room a bit like a, a, a college disco before the first person <laughs> might ask someone to dance right but once but once that's happened I think they're great because you do see problem solving you see people come together and you'll then see them maybe having a drink in the evening later and, and build those actual connections and that's what we're losing during lockdown isn't it it's like the you don't have that I think it's important to go back to the offices at, at least a few days a week for the conversation you have as you walk into the meeting room and the conversation you have walking out. And I think that's where team building is great. It's those realizing it's a human that you're working with, that they've got problems, you've got problems, helping helping each other out. And that's where team building is awesome because it's just bringing that group together. That's interesting. I like what you said about those little interpersonal moments when you're meeting with someone and you need a FaceTime. It makes me wonder if there needs to be a, a shift uh, throughout the whole world of work in terms of how HR uh, interacts with the workers. A lot of times when you, at least in, in my experience, um, well, self present experience, when you mention HR, you know someone's in trouble, you know. <laughs> it's like you've been called to the principal's office or mom and dad has come by and you're in trouble. Um, but I've prior to present day experience, when you when I dealt with HR or, or, or seen people deal with HR, it was always with a sense of dread, like oh, I got to deal with HR. But if HR, to your point, was more of a uh, seen as I don't know more welcoming or more um, uh, complimentary, on I don't know if I'm using the right word, but if they're not seen so much as the boogeyman of the office. But as someone who genuinely cares about the well-being of the people who work there, I think that'll uh, maybe improve a lot of the well-being in the office throughout. Because a lot of these well-being programs and the the gauging of the mental health is, is going to come from the HR side of the house, right? 
Yeah, so they should have better relationships or close relationships with a lot of the workers. I guess when you have a smaller organization, you can do that. But how could a large organization, let's say uh, you know, a, five, a 500 or 1,000 uh, employee size company, how could they get that warm and fuzzy feeling? How could HR get that warm and fuzzy feeling on a one-on-one interaction when your company is just so big? I think... I, I and I might get I might get some cheers from the HR community when I say this one. <laughs> I firstly I think managers and leaders need to realise that they've got more responsibility in this than because I think there's so many times hmm. they they will push something and say that's HR's problem. Oh HR does this. HR needs to deal with that. And and I think a lot of the stuff that they don't want to do is push to HR. And sure. and then HR does seem like this. They come in for the performance reviews. They come in for the pips. They come in for like these like things like contracts and, and bits like that. Whereas a lot of that should be manager driven. And then that allows HR to do like it's it's human resources. It's it's helping. It's not just controlling people, uh, which I think, like you're saying, that's the kind of legacy side. It's how how do they help with like organizational design? How do they help with capabilities? How do they like if you had the HR person that you knew you could bring in, maybe comes to all of your meetings. I think that that's important when you get to a certain size of group or a certain size of organization. You have that HR business partner that's in all the meetings that's sitting there and can understand the, the challenges of a department that can then offer solutions that would help them whether that's around you know productivity retention and anything that that they'd see fit rather than it being can you come in because there's a problem because i mean i i remember i remember going to meetings and you see that hr's on the invite and like you were saying you assume there's a problem because <laughs> hr's hr's only brought to the party when there's going to be a firing or, or something bad and and I, I've got some amazing HR business partners and, and teams that I work with now and, and have in the past. And I think there's a ton more talent and things they can give if they're given the opportunity to. It's not operational tasks. Um, so, yeah, I think getting them at the table consistently is the is the path forward. Very good. Very good. Um, there's this phenomenon going on right now called the Great Resignation, which I I think part of the reason is because of burnout. And and some of it's reactive to the lockdown and pandemic, and it's certainly part of it. Um, how do you think companies can fix this great resignation and, and retain their employees better? Um, I think I think one bit is there's there's some pent up movement, so there, there's a lot of stuff that people can't impact. Um, hmm. So yeah, if 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 say let's say people have a ten percent star turnover rate uh, year on year, and Basically, no one really moved for two years because, yeah, if you were in a job during lockdown, sit it out. Yeah, because the the risk of moving and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I stupidly quit my job and started a company during lockdown. But um, maybe that's that says more about me. But so some of it is just that backlog of, you know, people were a bit fed up with their career and, you know, and now they're looking to move. So th- there's always going to be free- like that or or they want to move back home to where their family is because they realize mm. during lockdown life's more important there's not really a lot you can do about that unless you're sort of offering fully remote working bits but i think the the big thing that's disengaging people is the the kind of lack of alignment with 
with values. And I, I talk to organizations and you look at what their company values are and then you go in and ask the staff, are you actually living those values? And quite often it's not because yeah, when times are tough or work gets busy, the, the values are kind of pushed to one side with, with really aggressive goals that people feel like they can't achieve. And then they feel like that's when a job becomes a job. And like you, you kind of need to make people feel part of the company, make people feel part of the family. A lot of people sort of say it's the millennials and the Gen Zs and, and stuff like this that, are, yeah, they've got, yeah, they've got no work ethic. They'll, they'll move and, and things mm. like that. So right. actually they want to go work for a, a company with a purpose where they feel like they're making an impact and, and they don't care about the, the, the coffee and the bean bags and things that everyone says that they do. They want to make a dent in the world. So it's helping people understand what did your company really do? How do, how they can align to that value, make them part of something a bit more special. Cause I think that's how you retain people. It's like a company that you want to work for rather than it being a paycheck because paycheck to paycheck, you can, you can move, but if you feel part of something, that's, that's special to me. All very good tips and all very much appreciated. Jeremy Cooper, you've been a great guest. If someone wanted to reach out to you personally and get more information, uh, how can they find you online? Um, my my main platform, my store on is LinkedIn. So, yeah, I'm Jeremy Cooper on there. Uh, my company is Balanced Life. So we're on balancedlifemastery.com. And so there's information on there, some of the talks that we do around high performance, life balance, some of the, the programs we do with, with companies. So, um, yeah, I mean, sort of saying about that, Dent, in the, the biggest thing we want to do is just help people not have burnout like like I had and like my business partner had to to really change change how people see work yeah we we should be enjoying life we should be doing jobs that inspire us and and I truly believe too many people give up on their job um mm. because of external factors and if a company helps the employees have that life outside of work and my mum always used to joke that I had no hobbies and if I if my sole focus in life is work and providing for the family i will look to move at every opportunity because i want to earn that little bit more money i want the best job title i want all this but when you start to help your employees and give them a life outside of work and you support them and you care about them they want to stay they want to they want to be with this company and and that's what we want to help companies do to to be that kind of anti-burnout um culture and that real employer of choice so uh it's a lot of fun, um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Very cool, very cool. Uh, well, again, Jeremy Cooper, thank you for being a guest on Tripod. You are appreciated. Pleasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you a thousand times. Thank you for listening and subscribing to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send them to us. You can reach us at Tripod, that's T-R-I-B-E-P-O-D, at ProactiveTalent.com. We look forward to hearing from you.